Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone that is here today. It's good to see guests in the audience. It's good to see some of those that maybe were sick the last few weeks back here with us and doing better. It's just good to assemble with God's people. You know, I was kind of thinking over, we're going to fix that here. I was, who's, where's Victor at with the microphone? Mute this one. Are we good? Nope. Mute all of them real quick. Go on, see if it makes it happy. All right, he's going to make some adjustments on that one as I'm talking. And, but until then, I want to begin with, we're not going to begin just yet. Here, turn off. All right, we're going to begin with a little bit of a story here that kind of popped into my mind as Curtis was sharing a memory of his childhood in the movie Prancer, which I now think less of him for actually watching that movie. But um, I was thinking in my mind of, of a memory as well, and it wasn't a Christmas memory, but this morning in Bible class, we were discussing rebelliousness and about how rebelliousness kind of is rooted in selfishness and the idea that we only want to do whatever we want to do. And I was thinking back to junior high and high school, and I was in band, and I was a drummer in the band, so I had a lot of free time because I wasn't that good of a drummer, so I was given like the triangle part and the cymbal and thing like that, so I, I would usually just stand in the back of the band, and I would think about ways of getting in trouble, and they had these chairs in the band room, and apparently they spent a whole bunch of money on these chairs, these like ergonomically designed chairs for musicians, where the back is shaped a certain way, and the, where you sat had this concave area where you'd sit down, and it'd make your back straight, and your posture would be perfect, but there was a song that we would play where the back row, all the brass instruments would stand up during a certain part. Well, I discovered that while those with the brass instruments in front of me were standing, that if I walk up behind those chairs and kick them, Underneath it, it would turn that concave area inside out. So since I only had like two little dings on my triangle and my part, while all the tubas and trombones and everybody are playing their part, I walk behind all the chairs and kick them all. And I pop that concave area all inside out because here's what happens. When they go to sit back down, it makes the loudest clapping clack sound you could ever think of. It feels like you got slapped in the back of the thighs. And it sounds like, you know, gunshots going off throughout the room. So all of a sudden, the trombones would all sit down and you hear, pop, 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 and everybody's screaming. Well, the band director didn't find that very amusing, and neither did the brass instrument players. And I'm sure I got in trouble and got lectured and got the, the question that I normally got asked in situations like that. And that was, why'd you do that? And normally, I didn't have a good answer to why I did it. It was usually... Well, I thought it'd be funny. And, you know, that rebelliousness that I had, luckily, in some sense, most of you are probably thinking it's not true, but I, I did grow out of it. I'm not as rebellious as I once was, although yesterday, Zinni had to remind me that there are laws in this town and that you're not allowed to water on whatever day you want, even though you'd say that you, it's been a month since you've watered, and you can't just say, it's my lawn, I'm going to do what I want. She reminded me that that's an ungodly attitude, and I can't have that attitude. But I think a lot of us, we have that tendency to not outgrow that rebelliousness. We think that, well, it's always my life. My day, my wants, my needs, I'm going to do whatever I want. And you see a lot of people that have that attitude, that it's my life attitude. That attitude that says, don't tell me what to do. That attitude that says, leave me alone. That attitude that says, I'm going to do what I want to do, and you're not going to stop me. 
instances, you know, a rebellious attitude is good when it's against social injustice or sin or something like that. But as a Christian, we can't go through life with the attitude of, leave me alone, I'm going to do whatever I want. Although maybe that is a, a good principle in some areas of life, when it comes to Christian living, we can't have that, that spirit. That is a wrong attitude. And you see this manifest itself in lots of ways. Sometimes you see it with the way that people view churches. In fact, it's, well, I want a church that does what I want them to do. Or, you know, sometimes it's clouded underneath the idea of, I want a church that meets my needs. And I know we have certain spiritual needs, and the church should meet those needs. But at the same time, the church is also a place for me to come and meet the needs of other people. So it's not always just about me. So if you're going through life with the attitude of, leave me alone, it's my life, I'm going to do whatever I want, that attitude is wrong. And I can prove that to you. Because every single one of us, you know, when we are being converted into Christ, we made a promise. We made a statement that said that we were going to submit our will to his will. In Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, it says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, and then so on. But that phrase right there, Jesus is Lord, there's more to that phrase than just an acknowledgement that Jesus is the Son of God. It's more than just a phrase like, I believe in Jesus. The idea of saying that Jesus is Lord, you are admitting and making a promise and entering into a covenant by which you are saying, Jesus, you are now in charge. It's not my life. I can't do whatever I want. I can't just expect God to leave me alone. Because when you said Jesus is Lord, you are declaring him to have power. You are saying that he has authority, that he is the ruler, that he has preeminence, and that he deserves my service and my obedience. So when you said Jesus is Lord, you're saying, Jesus, you are in charge, not me. Jesus, it's your life that I'm living for. It's not my life to do whatever I want anymore. So our lesson this morning is going to be real simple, and it's going to have one point. I hope you can remember this one point and take it with you, and that one point is this. You are not king, and this is not your kingdom. That's a hard point to, to live out. Now, I know we could acknowledge that. I know we, we can verbalize that, but when it comes down to it, I know myself included, I have a tendency to think that I'm king. This is my kingdom, my life. I do what I want when I want to. That's not a godly attitude. You are not king, and this is not your kingdom. And let's prove it from Scripture this morning, from the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 6, in verse 25. So if you brought a Bible, I hope you did. Open it up to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have one on your phone or there in front of you, there is probably one on a seat back nearby. Open it up to the book of Matthew. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. Your Bible is divided in the Old Testament and the New Testament. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those first four books of the New Testament, all tell the story of their biographies of Jesus Christ. Well, in this biography of him inspired by God, in Matthew chapter 6, we are in the middle of a sermon. This is a sermon preached by Jesus. And it's often referred to as the Sermon on the Mount because, well, he's sitting on a hill when he, when he teaches it. But the sermon has to do with the kingdom, and it has to do with true righteousness. How true righteousness isn't seen in just doing certain physical things in different ways, but it's about inside out. That's what true righteousness 
is all about. But in chapter 6 and in verse 25, after talking about you know, priorities and talking about possessions and treasure and where your heart is or where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus makes this statement in verse 25. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. It says, For this reason I say to you. And what's the reason? Well, the reason is back up in verse 24 that you can't serve God or riches, okay? So you've got to have your priorities straight. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life. And that phrase there, your life, is key to this section. He says, do not worry about your life. And he illustrates it. He says, as to what you will eat, or to what you will drink, or to what you will put on, or is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? So he starts off with, don't worry so much about your life. But I thought it's my life. I can do what I want. It's my desires, my wants. He says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you will eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about your body, about what you are going to wear. He says, your life is so much more than that. There's something bigger than food, drink, clothing. There's something bigger and greater and grander than just this physical existence that we have. So don't worry about your life. And then he illustrates it. He says, look at the birds of the air, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? He says, those birds out there in the world, they, they don't worry so much about that, but God takes care of them. God, and you're much more worth than a bird. I mean, you eat birds, right? I mean, you're better than them. He goes, but God takes care of them. Isn't he going to take care of you? Verse 27, and who of you by being worried can add a single of hour to his life? In this section here, the sub point is worry about don't be so stressed. But verse 28, he says, and why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all of his glory was clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So if we're going through life worried, if we're going through life stressed about these physical things, we're lacking in faith, is what he says. Because our whole existence isn't about what we're going to get here, but it's about what we're going to get later. He says then, don't worry, verse 31, about what we will eat or what we will drink or what we will wear for clothing. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. So all those things that even seem like priorities, I mean, food, clothing, those are things you need, right? I mean, but he says, don't worry about those. So we're not even talking about, you know, television, vacations, and, and dessert. We're talking about just even daily sustenance here. He says, even then, don't stress about those. That's not what you need to be asking. What are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Those questions really don't amount to much. God knows you need those things. He's going to take care of you. But then in verse 33, he makes this profound statement about where our priorities need to be. Our priorities aren't riches. Our priorities aren't, you know, even daily needs. Our priority, verse 33, is this. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, 
and all these things will be added to you. Notice, this section in verse 24 and 25 started with, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, what you will put on. But he says, don't worry about the you, worry about him, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You see the contrast? Even those things that seem like necessities, and I'm not going to lie, food, clothing, drink, that, that's a necessity. If you don't have those, you'll probably die, okay? So yes, they're necessities, but even then, it's not about you, what you need, what you want. It's about him, what he desires. It's not our kingdom, it's his kingdom. We are not king, he is king. That's why Jesus says, seek first, number one, his kingdom and his righteousness. Yeah, but what about, what about daily survival? What about my needs? What about this? What about that? Is it number one? Number one needs to be his kingdom and his righteousness. You are not king and this is not your kingdom. Why? Because God's king. God is king. He's the one that's in charge. He is the one who has power. He is the one that has authority. He is the ruler by hereditary right or rest preeminence whose service and obedience are due. That's God. So that means he is king and we exist and we live in his kingdom. See, that's why a lot of times I, I'm not so quick to just jump on the bandwagon. A lot of people ask, well, what's the kingdom? Well, the kingdom's the church. Yes, but it's so much it's bigger than that. The idea of submitting to the rule of Jesus as king and living and existing as citizens in his kingdom, that means that we submit to his rule. He has authority. His authority and right and preeminence permeate every bit of my existence. So seeking first the kingdom isn't just, well, put church work first. It's so much bigger than that. It means that he is my ruler. He is my Lord. Everything I do is about serving Him. God is King, and I exist and live and thrive within His kingdom. When we became a Christian, when we made that statement that Jesus is Lord, when we put on Christ in baptism and rose to walk in new life, that new life is a life of changed priorities. That new life is a life where we are no longer king. You can't say as a Christian, it's my life, I'm going to do what I want. You don't have that right anymore. You relinquish that right when you became a citizen of Jesus' divine kingdom. When you became a Christian, you are no longer in charge. He's in charge, and side note, he's always been in charge anyway. You just weren't submitting to him. He is now king. That's what we're studying on Sunday mornings. In our Bible class here in the auditorium, if you're in that class, we're working through 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 8, 9, 10, 11 are all about, hey, you have the liberty to do lots of things, but in some areas, you relinquish that liberty for the betterment of someone else. You, you know, sacrifice maybe what you have the freedom to do because you want to help someone else get to heaven. Yeah, but it's my right. I can do what I want. Yeah, but you don't have a right to cause someone to stumble. Well, it's my life. I can live any way I want. No, you can't. Because Jesus is Lord. You are not king and this is not your kingdom. It's his. So, you know, we've been having our, our yearly planning meetings here in the congregation. And we've been talking about how to get, you know, more participation in, in things like how do we increase our attendance? 
to all of our services. We want people to attend. We know that there's benefit to you attending. And there's benefits to you attending more. We know that. When we ask questions like, how can we get people to give to more good works? We have these good works over here we want to do, but the funding to take it isn't there. How are we going to get people to give more? We ask questions like, how can we gain more participation in programs and ministries? You know, we've been talking a lot about the need for more people to step up and lead. How do we get that to happen? How can we help individuals to avoid sin and to live for God? It's right here. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. If we can get all of us, if you can realize and I can realize that I am not king and this is not my kingdom, those problems, those questions, those challenges will be resolved. Attendance won't be a problem anymore because it's not my life, it's his. Generosity, I'm not going to have to be told to be generous because it's not my money, I'm, I'm not king, he's king. It's not my kingdom, it's his kingdom. The need for people to step up and lead in various ministries in the congregation... That's not going to be a problem because God will be number one in everyone's life. You are not king and this is not your kingdom. I am not king. This is not my kingdom. It belongs to Jesus. And when we made that statement, when we were about to be baptized into Christ, when we said Jesus is Lord, that is a statement of saying that he is now in charge. That means then, simply put, we must live out our confession. See, we don't want to be liars. We don't want to be hypocrites. We made a promise. God expects us to keep that promise. When you said Jesus is Lord, you weren't just saying that, well, there is a Lord. You were saying He is my Lord. You were saying He is my King, and I am joining His kingdom. The lesson is yours this morning. And I know that was simple. That was to the point, but the point is so important. If we could get that one point down, that I am not king and this is not my kingdom, all these other areas will fall into place. Your priorities will be right. You'll, you'll begin to say the things that God would want you to say. You'll live the way God would want you to live. You think the way God would want you to think. You serve the way God would want you to serve. You worship the way God would want you to worship. You love and lead the way God would want you to. You are not king, and this is not your kingdom. Let's be a people that live out our confession. The lesson is yours this morning. In just a moment, we're going to sing an invitation song. One of the elders will be up here to meet you if you do have a specific need that you need met. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you need the prayers of this congregation. We're here to help you. If you have a need, why don't you come as together we stand and as we sing. There's a fountain free just for you and me. Let us haste, oh, haste to its spring. Tis the fount of love from the source above, and he bids us all freely drink. Will you come to the fountain free? Will you come? Tis for you and me, thirsty soul, hear the welcome call. Tis a fountain open for all. There's a living stream with a crystal gleam from the throne of life. Now it flows while the waters roll 
let the weary soul hear the call that for freely goes. Will you come to the fountain free? Will you come? Tis for you and me, thirsty soul. Hear the welcome call. Tis a fountain open for a rock that's cleft and the soul is left that may not its pure water share. Tis for you and me and its stream I see. Let us hasten joyfully there. Will you come to the fountain soul. Hear the welcome call. Tis a fountain open for all. Please be seated. I have just a few reminders or announcements before we are dismissed this morning. And again, a reminder, if you didn't get a chance to grab a bulletin, please do so uh, on your way out. It will go into a little more detail. On